You're listening to Heartland Politics with Robin Johnson, a presentation of WVIK Quad Cities NPR. Welcome back to the Heartland Politics Show, which is aired on and distributed by WVIK Quad Cities NPR. WVIK is the flagship public radio station in the Quad Cities region of northwestern Illinois and eastern Iowa. I'm your host, Robin Johnson, and I'm very honored today to have as my guest the congressman representing the 17th district in Illinois, which includes the Quad Cities, a very familiar name to most people in the area. He's Eric Sorensen. Uh, congressman, thank you so much for taking the time today. No, it's great to be with you, Robin. I want to get to some issue questions. There's some very important things going on, but first, I want to kind of take a broader view here. You've uh, uh, you've had your one year anniversary of getting elected to Congress. You've served about a year. Looking back, what what do you regard as your your most significant accomplishments? The ones maybe you're most proud of in your first year in office. Yeah, I looking back at the past year, I think one thing that um, I am fully cognizant of in in this time where there is so much dysfunction in Congress um, is the fact that my community elected me to represent them. And I had this unique honor of being able to be in Congress, but without that, um, uh, that anchor, uh, that ball and chain that's attached to my leg that is politics. Um, to be able to be here in Congress to say I'm a Democrat standing up for democratic values, but also that I'm working across the aisle in everything that I'm doing um, to build that consensus, um, you know, and, and back home, we need to understand that, you know, here in Washington today, it's not Democrats versus Republicans at all. It's, it's really Democrats and Republicans agreeing that we need to work together. But then understanding that the majority party today has extremists that won't allow it to happen. And, and those are the things that we need to focus on, um, not, not the dysfunction, but on the ways that we can work together. And there are some great things that are happening in Congress today. Um, and, you know, I, I'm happy to, to, to shout those things out when we get them, when we get those, those bipartisan wins. Um, but also understand that, you know, next year the election is going to be so important again. Uh, we need to make sure that we understand who we are voting for. And for me, it's being able to show my work along the way to prove why um, the vote for me um, is valuable to people. As, as listeners know, uh, this 17th district is a close district. It's very competitive. Uh, and in the House of Representatives currently, uh, after um, uh, Congressman Santos was was expelled, it's a very close margin. Um, how do you? How have you? I mean, you're you're obviously a very outgoing person. Most people in politics are, but how have you approached this since you started out? Um, share with our listeners kind of like how you go about. I mean, the the media image, as you know, is like the two sides fighting constantly. 
But take us kind of back where your strategy to kind of, you understand you can't get things done unless some Republicans vote for them. How did you go about trying to build bridges with the other side? Right. Well, I, I got some great advice um, very early on. Um, it was the day after I was elected uh, by our senior Senator Dick Durbin. Um, and uh, I, I asked him, you know, what advice can you give me starting out? And his he, he said, there's two things. Um, number one is the clock's ticking on um, your ability to formulate and build relationships with those on the other side of the aisle. Um, because once you're sworn in, um, then politics takes over and it is very hard to, to build those relationships. And uh, he said it was the same advice that he gave um, Barack Obama when he was elected to the United States Senate. Um, and so what I did was I took that advice and for the, the first couple of weeks, even in orientation, so this was back um, November of last year, um, was going to sit down with the people that I didn't recognize. Um, these were the people that were elected as freshmen in the GOP. Um, and then what was really interesting was we were able to create, I don't, I don't want to, I want to say a working relationship, right? Because my background, they said, oh, what did you do, uh, Eric? And I said, I was the weatherman. No way. And, and I said, yeah, for 20 years, uh, you know, the people in my district, they got to know who I was. Um, you know, I was with them for all of the, the dangerous weather for, for 20 years. And you know what, you, you build up a level of trust that, you know, a lot of people don't get to have with the people that they serve. And, um, you know, so to make a long story short, um, I was able to create um, those relationships, um, you know, even, even though if it's just a half a dozen uh, freshman members, but for them to be able to tell their caucus that, oh, this, this Eric Sorensen guy, he's the real deal. We can work with him on things. That's what, that's what the people in Illinois 17 want of me. Um, they don't want um, ideology of one party. They don't want that at all. You know, and from the constituents that I talk with, they want us to work together um, and they want us to show our work. Um, I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you a story from um, Sharon Powell. Um, she, she was uh, my seventh grade math teacher um, at St. Edward's School in Rockford, Illinois. I remember saying to uh, Mrs. Powell, um, I got the answer right. You didn't give me the credit. And I remember her getting up from her desk in the front and coming back to my desk and looking down and she goes, you know what, Eric, you're right. I didn't give you the credit. And then she walked right back up and she sat down at the desk in front of the classroom. And I just kind of put up my hands like, well, what gives, right? And she's, she just leaned forward in her desk and she goes, you didn't show me your work. So that's what we have to do as members of Congress, as people who are in service, not just to say, hey, I'm going to go and fight for you, but it's being able to go back and say, here's how I fought for you. And we have to show our work. And, and that's what I want to be able to do. I wish that there was more time to do that because uh, I tell you what, um, the satisfaction that I get from talking to people in our district is way more valuable than the satisfaction of, of sitting on the floor of the House and talking with other members of Congress. You're, you're by nature, I've had occasion to talk to you a couple times now, you're by nature a very positive person. I, my question was going to be, what's been your biggest disappointment? I'm going to change that. Um, what's been your biggest surprise 
is there anything that really surprised you that maybe things weren't the way they seemed to be or whatever that you could share with our listeners that might be of interest? Yeah, I think the biggest surprise for me um, was getting to Congress and realizing that um, the the members of Congress that are getting the most work done, these aren't the politicians. It's the fact that, that I get to work um, for instance, a, a dear colleague of mine, um, I think the world of, I mean, she's a pediatrician and she ran for Congress, right? Um, we have people from all different walks of life. Um, you know, we have um, Congressman Maxwell Frost, who's 25 years old. You know, a, a lot of times, you know, and, and we sit down and we have uh, dinner together or lunch together. And, and I wonder to myself, where was I at 25? There's no way I could have been an effective congressman at 25 years old. And, and here he is, right? Um, it's understanding that, you know, this past year in 2022, um, that we have the most diverse freshman class that we've ever had in history. 70% of the freshman Democrats were diverse. We have more women. We have more people of color. We have more LGBTQ represent representatives than we've ever elected before. Um, and so that happened in 2022. Um, all the while, the extremists on the other side say, you know, there's a woke agenda. Well, look at what, look at who the American people largely elected. And then we're going to prove it again next year, too. We, you talked a lot about compromise, bipartisanship, reaching out, and I would agree with you. In my walk of life, I talk to Democrats, Republicans every day, and all they want is, like, can't, why can't we just get along and get things done? It seems like most people agree on the compromises that are that, that can be achieved, but right. it, it's just, it, you know, a certain side, maybe on both sides, are dug in, and it's better to play politics than it is, but... Right now, we're dealing with some very important issues. Uh, the, the, there were reports over the weekend that Ukraine uh, is running out of out of uh, armaments, and and we're sitting. We haven't uh, approved the package that the president uh, presented. The Republicans are holding out for more uh, reforms on border security. Where's that at right now, Congressman? Do you see a path where where and and plus the aid for Israel is caught up in that as well? Do you see a path forward that might? be achieved here in the next couple of weeks? Uh, well, well, first and foremost, uh, we have to understand that Ukraine is an ally and um, not just the optics, but abandoning allies, it sends a terrible message to the rest of the world. Um, we have to understand who's watching our actions. Um, you know, uh, Putin, if he were to invade other nations, including uh, NATO, uh, would, would lead us to a larger war. How do we prevent that from happening, right? Uh, we have to make sure that we stand united with Ukraine, um, even though it's going to be hard to do so. But also understanding that that means not calling our men and women to, to fight the war there. Um, look, I mean, we have to understand with China, um, you know, if, if we pulled our support for Ukraine, what would that tell China in the South China Sea with respect to Taiwan? Um, and what would that mean for U.S. interests? Um, you know, we've got to stand up against Russia as we support democracies around the world. That also means Israel as well. Um, I had one of the best conversations that I had in recent memory 
um, I'll share with you. Um, I was walking out of the Jewel in Moline, Illinois, uh, City Line Plaza, right by my house. Okay. And um, the gentleman who was pushing the carts in the parking lot, um, he goes, are, are you, are you Eric Sorensen? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I voted for you. It was the first time I ever got to vote. Um, and I said, I appreciate that. Thank you. And he said, he said, I don't even know. Am I allowed to ask a question? I said, yes. Even if you didn't vote for me, you, you are, because you're a constituent. And he wanted help in understanding what's going on in the Middle East with Israel and Hamas. And I said, look, I said, um, Hamas isn't Palestinian. The Palestinians aren't Hamas. Um, but also we have to understand that, you know, I was just in Israel in August. You know, when 1,200 people are murdered at once, those 1,200 people are, are connected with families and with communities in such a different way than what we have in Moline, Illinois. Um, and I said, I, I really, I, I welcome people from all different walks, understanding what's going on in the Middle East, speaking out, peacefully protesting and demonstrating. I think that's a wonderful thing that we're looking outside of our own communities. But also we have to understand that, that just looking at what's going on today isn't representative of what's gone on there for years and years and years, right? And I said, so I just look from this point forward, how do we get humanitarian aid where it's needed? And how do we bring long lasting peace? And I said, so what do you think? And then he said, you know, I don't know if I thought about it that way, but, but we do need to think of that long-term. I said, exactly. It's not just what's happening today. We need a long-term approach. And I said, quite frankly, a lot of the elected leaders haven't given me that yet. I'm searching for that. Um, and so this quite possibly a 19 year old um, gave me the best conversation that I've had with any constituent in months. And where did it happen? It happened in the Jewel parking lot with, with the, the guy that was pushing the carts. And then I, I get, got back to D.C. and I looked around at my colleagues in the House of Representatives. Which one of our House of Representatives colleagues, which one of my colleagues would ever think to stop and talk to the cart guy? That's a great point. It, it, I, I, it, it's got to be hard, uh, daunting, because again, you, you, you seem very personable, down to earth. Uh, in fact, when, as my listeners know, I teach a class, and the, 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 the description my students gave after talking to you via Zoom was down to earth, no, sure. uh, very approachable. How do you stay in touch? I mean, you can't go knock doors every door in this district. It's huge. Uh, how do you? What what are your thoughts? How do you stay in touch with people on the ground just to take advantage of the the story you just told me, where you're hearing something from somebody that really stayed with you and made an impression on you? Yeah, I I do go and knock on doors. Um, you know, just the last time I was back home, um, we had an event down in Bloomington, um, and I talked with students there. Um, at Bloomington. Um, but then also I um, stopped in Peoria on my way back home to Moline. And and I, I knocked on doors uh, on the north side of Peoria. And people were surprised that I was the congressman knocking on their door. And they said, what are you here for? And I said, well, I just want to hear what's important to you right? It's the same thing that when I was the first person that ever came up to me and shook my hand because I was a congressman. I'll, I'll, I won't forget this guy. 
Um, in fact, I've seen him since. I was on my very first trip and orientation to come to DC and this guy ran toward me in the airport. He works in the Moline airport and he goes, Congressman. And I actually corrected him. I said, I'm not your Congressman yet. Um, and uh, we had a great conversation. And then he said, um, I said, well, what do you want me to do for you? What do you think that we need in this community? And he, he goes, one word, opportunities. I said, thanks. All right. So like, I don't forget that conversation, right? Even if it's just one word, right? We need to make sure that our representatives are listening to us that aren't just peddling whatever, you know, the political party tells them, but we have to listen to the people again. We have to be able to talk um, about our values. A lot of times I say, we need to stop talking about our politics, but we need to start talking about our values because those are two incredibly different things. And when we start talking more about our values, we're gonna realize that neighbor by neighbor, we're not, uh, we're, we're not different at all. You're listening to Heartland Politics on WVIK Quad Cities NPR. This is your host, Robin Johnson, and I'm very uh, excited to have as my guest today, Congressman Eric Sorensen, who represents the Illinois side of the river, the 17th district. He was just elected uh, a little over a year ago and has served his first year. And we've been talking a little bit about his impressions, his accomplishments, uh, how he stays in touch and, and some issues. Uh, and, and I wanted to get back to that a little bit. You just said uh, values and opportunity, uh, two words that stuck out to me. And that kind of relates to the next question here. The, the, the national narrative is the economy seems to be doing better regarding jobs, but yet people are still very concerned about inflation. Is that what you're picking up, Congressman, as you go around? Is uh, you, you know, the Democrats seem, the Biden administration seems frustrated that they're not getting credit for the economy. It's kind of a two-sided story here that, yeah, jobs are, uh, unemployment's low, people are getting jobs, but inflation's still um, serious. What, uh, uh, what, what are you, uh, are you hearing that? And what are you doing? What are, the, what are your thoughts on increasing opportunities for people in the district? Right. Well, look, I mean, in in this district in in middle America, uh, people are still struggling to make ends meet. Um, we can celebrate that things are better than they would have been or could have been. Um, but look, it's the people in our district. Um, we most people don't know what the Dow Jones Industrial Average number is today, where we close when the closing bell happens. Um, but you know what? Everybody knows how much a gallon of gas is. Um, everybody knows how much uh, a gallon of milk is or a dozen eggs um, or how much they're spending at the pharmacy. OK, these are all the real things that people in our district are not only paying attention to. They're trying to survive with. OK, um, and so we in Congress and our federal government needs to work for the people again. We need to make sure that we're lowering these costs um, across the board. Um, and so, you know, for me, what can I do as a member of Congress? Uh, first things first, we need to lower the cost of prescription drugs. I am absolutely focused on that. Why? Because I've seen that struggle in my own household where I go to the pharmacy. I'm like, why was this $20 last month and it's $60 this month? And then my pharmacist says, Eric, I don't know. That's why I'm voting for you. You got to figure this out, right? We have to make sure where, where are the profits going? 
when we have senior citizens that when they get into their Medicare donut hole, they're paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars out of pocket. Where's that going, right? Um, we need to lower those costs. We need to lower the costs of and and make sure more people are connected to healthcare. Um, you know, these are things that Congress can do to ease the burden on people. But then it's also um, in maybe a bigger way, it's focusing on how we can lift people up, build back the middle class. It's getting people jobs. It's understanding that, you know, in this administration and in the last Congress, the Infrastructure Act, how many billions of dollars that that means in investment, not just in our infrastructure. I think that is investment in the people who are making that possible, right? Um, it's making sure that the Chips and Science Act that we've heard a lot about. Well, what does this mean now when we don't have to worry about the supply chain, when we're going to be able to get the, the chips um, that we need for the electronics that we use every day and that are going to make our lives easier? Um, government does work. Um, but the problem that we have today is there's the extremists in government today and in the Congress that don't want it to work at all. They just want to score political points. They want to stop it all up. Um, the fact that we got so close twice now to government shutdowns um, is an incredible disservice to the people who are struggling today. Um, and the look at who voted to shut the government down. People need to do that. Um, because actually to save us, it was, it was people voting across party lines um, to keep the government funded um, to make sure that we're working for the American people. I know the climate issue is near to you, uh, near and dear to you as, as a scientist, as a meteorologist, you talked a lot about it during, in the campaign, there's an international conference going on now. There, there seems to be, uh, you know, a variety of viewpoints on whether we're making progress or not. How do you feel about that? I mean, again, that I know that was one of your top priorities. Where, where, where are we at as a country? as a globe in addressing this issue and what what needs to happen to get us there maybe quicker or in in in, in a more feasible way uh, well well look um it's going to take incredible effort on everyone's part and when i say everyone i i mean across the globe um it's understanding that um we all need to take our steps forward uh, but as as each individual takes steps forward it doesn't mean um squat if our government's not doing everything. Um, look, today we have more wind and solar than we've ever had on the grid. I'm focused on the fact that the grid can't handle it, right? So when right now, um, we got to be able to move the power from where it is windy to where it's calm, from where it's sunny to where it's cloudy. We can't do that. So our country needs to invest in its electrical grid. Because to be honest with you, we're we're losing um, a great deal of power because it's inefficient. Um, we have to build the transmission uh, lines that we need to connect these grids. Three grids in the United States, they all should talk to one another. They all should work with one another um, because it's incredibly antiquated. So actually in Congress, um, I am working with a coalition of members um, to be able to, to solve that problem. Uh, we also need to solve the problem with permitting reform uh, for small-scale nuclear. Um, look, 57% of our power in the state of Illinois comes from nuclear power. 
Um, we need to make sure as that is clean energy, um, we're not afraid of it here. Uh, we do it the right way here in Illinois. Um, and so what we need to be able to do is continue to invest in the places where we have had power plants before um, so that we're using better technology. Um, and so it is more efficient, but also in the end, it brings jobs. Um, when I talk about sustainability, whether that's sustainable aviation fuel, uh, our farmers are going to be the heroes in this. They just don't know it yet. Um, when we talk about sustainable anything, whether that's the, the new um, uh, Stellantis plant that we're going to build up near Rockford, um, that's going to build the next generation of EV trucks, um, sustainability means jobs. And if we're able to focus on that, then we can not only make a difference here in Illinois 17, um, but we're going to be a model on how we get it done. I have to ask you this. Um, this is starting to emerge as a serious issue. And I ask you because of your background in science, and that's this issue of artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. Are you hearing much on that? Do you have any thoughts put together yet on if government has a role in this? uh at this point right i've had um i have had meetings um with executives at um, amazon uh, microsoft and google about artificial intelligence um and look i get differing answers uh, depending on which company i'm asking the same question and that is where should the guardrails be put up to pr to to protect the consumer i'm worried uh, more and more about the devious behavior of people who are going to commit wrongdoing um, and utilize artificial intelligence to dupe people. Now, I will tell you that, um, you know, trust is something that is earned, right? Um, and I know that from my perspective, being a meteorologist and now being a member of Congress, um, we need to make sure that when we go online, that when we are connected to the World Wide Web, that, that we're protected. Whose job is it to protect us? Is it the companies? Is it Congress? Or is it um, a combination? Um, I believe it's a combination. We can't just make sure that it's the government that is protecting us, especially since there are so many people that don't trust the government. We need to make sure that people are able to trust um, the information that they are uh, getting online um, because look, there is a rise of misinformation and disinformation um, right now. It's going to be worse next year than it is this year. And we have to make sure that we're vetting that information as it's coming into our eyes and into our ears um, such that we're all not being duped. And it's not because of our own ignorance. Um, it's just because of the fact that, you know, we have people um, that are not playing by the same set of rules as everyone else. Um, it's, it's another reason why I'm, I'm working so hard on making sure that, that robocalls are eliminated. Uh, I'm working on legislation right now in this office uh, because I see too many, especially senior citizens, um, that are being duped. And as AI increases, as AI can create voices that are similar to the grandchildren of seniors in order to dupe them, um, Congress needs to, to step up and do the right thing to, to prevent that. 
Well, that's that's comforting to hear. Uh, I, I, and I think, again, with the voters in the 17th, with somebody with your unique background, I think that'll be, uh, it, it's an added benefit of have, having somebody with your perspective as this issue grows, and it will grow. Um, Congressman, we're out of time. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on today and look forward to having you back. Uh, our guest today has been Congressman Eric Sorensen. Most of our listeners know the Congressman, his face, his voice. Uh, He's had an interesting first year, and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to share with us uh, some of the highlights. Oh, thank you, Robin, and, and it's, uh, it's an honor to work for the people. Heartland Politics with Robin Johnson, a presentation of WVIK Quad Cities NPR.